Good morning, everyone, and welcome. I'm Rebecca Lowe, and this is your destination for all the live Barclays Premier League action you could ever need. Balotelli, Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. So watch it. Drink it in. There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. Yeah, do we have any goals this season? Absolutely. We're going to win a lot of games. We're going to get in the playoffs. No playoffs. There's no playoffs. Again, my job just got a lot easier. Ties and no playoffs. Why do you even do this? That's what's up. You're listening to another edition of the Upper Deckers podcast. This is our second ever Upper Deckers top shelf content mini pod. I'm your host today, Derek. I'm going solo. Not because Drew and Matt wouldn't really be interested in talking about soccer because that is the topic of conversation today, but because I have just so much information that I want to talk about that it's just going to require me to talk for 30 to 45 minutes or however long this goes because I have so much stuff I want to talk about that they wouldn't want me hogging a whole segment hogging a whole podcast uh, with with all my thoughts on soccer so I'm doing it all by myself today um, we want to get into later some of the U.S. under 23 Olympic qualifying which is actually going on right now as I'm recording this I have on here in the background I'm watching the uh, USA Panama game, the third game in the group for USA. So if there's any crazy outbursts or screaming, you know where it's coming from. Either bad a missed call from a ref, bad play from the U.S., or hopefully a goal. Uh, then I want to get into. Uh, I want to also get into a little bit of EPL. We got an international break this coming weekend. It's a good time. We're about at the quarter mark of the season. Kind of check in on uh, my league of choice. See where everybody's at, see uh, who are the surprises, who are the disappointments, and kind of give our thought, give my thoughts on uh, where the rest of the season's going to take us. But first, I want to get into the U.S. men's national team, the senior team. And so the under 23s are uh, in progress as we speak. Uh, but the U.S. men's national team, the senior team, has a huge match coming up this weekend, Saturday night. October 10th at 8 p.m. They will take on Mexico. Uh, the U.S., the winners of the 2013 Gold Cup. They did not win the 2015 Gold Cup. That would be Mexico who did. So they will have to take on Mexico in a game to see who will go to the 2017 Confederations Cup. Uh, the Confederations Cup, one of the more prestigious 
uh, tournaments happens the year before the World Cup in the host nation. So in 2017, it will take place in Russia. Uh, it is a tournament of eight teams. Uh, the host nation is on an automatic bid, as does the previous World Cup winner. And then the six winners of the major tournaments uh, for the other qualifying regions in Obviously, those would be the six continents outside of Antarctica. Um, so the U.S. trying to be uh, CONCACAF's representative in that tournament. U.S. did not make that tournament in... Oh, he just missed. The U.S. did not make that tournament in 2013 uh, in the lead into the Brazil World Cup. They did make it in 2009. If you remember, that was kind of the breakout for Charlie Davies and Josie Altador, uh, the U.S. beat Spain in the semifinals, which was a huge upset. As Spain was on a 15-game winning streak, I believe, and like a 35-match unbeaten streak, and the U.S. took them down 2-0. Uh, then the U.S. went to the the championship, had a 2-0 lead on Brazil, uh, but fell 3-2. So it was kind of a, a, a high point. Um, in the U.S. senior team history is as they had taken down a world power in Spain and were on the verge of doing so against Brazil and winning a major tournament leading up to the 2010 World Cup. Uh, but they came up just short. But qualifying for the 2017 would be huge. It's it's a good tournament to be in. As I said, it's the year before. It's in the host nation. It's a good place. It's a good opportunity to see where your team is at as you head into the World Cup, get your team another major tournament against some of the best teams from around the world. So the U.S. has a big match on its hands. This big match on its hands coming up this weekend. Um, but it's coming off some disappointing performances, to say the least. And that's why it's it's such a big game. Not just because it would qualify them for the Confederations Cup. But it's a really good test to see where they're at at the moment. Uh, because they have struggled recently, we know. In, well, if you watched the Gold Cup, uh, which I did, and I was able to actually be at the first game, it took place here um, in Dallas, or more specifically in Frisco at Toyota Stadium, the home of SC Dallas. Uh, they won uh, two their first two games over two uh, one over Honduras, one nothing over Haiti, and then drew the final game of the group stage with Panama, and that's where you sort of sort of started to see. Um, the undoing of, of the U.S. team. They didn't went to the first, the, the quarterfinal round and had a really nice game, 6-0 over Cuba. Um, but as many people tell you, Cuba is is not really a benchmark, and that was something they, they should have done is taking Cuba down by that much. Um, so it really wasn't, you know, this huge victory, as, you know, the scoreline said. And then in the semifinals, got behind 2 nothing to Jamaica, and just couldn't overcome. Uh, they ended up getting one uh, right at the start of the second half, but couldn't get anything else uh, as time went on, and they lose 2-1 to Jamaica. They then lost in penalty shootouts uh, in the third-place game, but I don't think, like many of the fans, I don't really think the players were, were really into that game. You talk about the friendlies they've had since then. They have, they've had two. They had a victory over Purdue, Purdue Peru, 2-1, to one, and then the Four to one loss to Brazil, which I thought the first half they sort of hung with Brazil, but the second half Brazil and and in particular Neymar um, really put it on the U.S. and and 
uh, kind of demoralized him, and it has sort of led to this feeling of uh, a lack of, of optimism for the team as they head into this Mexico match, and this feeling that, that Mexico will probably just run us over. Um, I admit I'm a little bit on that on that bandwagon, not not so much as it the Mexico Mexico is just going to run away with this, but there is a loss of optimism I think in the in the U.S. national team. Uh, we can kind of get into that a little later, but I wanted to talk about some of the players who I thought impressed, um, whether it be in those friendlies or in the Gold Cup or both. And really, I think it was I don't I don't think he got much time in the Gold Cup, but it's really been these last two friendlies. Uh, the player who, to me, has risen up, um, you know, I don't know the sheet uh, the most, has been Tim Ream, who is really traditionally a center back. Um, he's been playing a lot of left back um, for for the U.S. national team. And I think he's been fantastic. He's shown a really strong uh, defensive effort. As I said, he's a center back uh, playing left back, so he's really not able uh, to get up and attack as you would as you would want. But he's been a stalwart back there. And against a team like Brazil that had a lot of speed, and Peru has a lot of speed too, he was he pretty much neutralized that threat and really didn't they didn't get attacked much from the left side or you know from his side. And I thought Tim Ream was fantastic as left back. As I said, he's limited offensively, so I don't know how much you would want him to play in that spot in the future. But to me, he stepped up as a guy who you definitely had to consider um if not in the starting lineup, definitely on the bench. Another guy who really stepped up for me was Aaron Johansson. I haven't really been a big fan of his in the past. I thought there was a lot of flash, um, but no sizzle on the other end. He really didn't have any finishing, the, the finishing touch that I would have liked to have seen. I didn't see a lot of goals. I saw a guy who uh, had a lot of skills and thought he was a lot better than he was, I guess. Um, but in those Gold Cup performances... I saw a guy who was finally kind of getting it together, and he he paired rather well with Clint Dempsey, I thought. Uh, I thought they really had a nice uh, two-man game going. And so that was a guy who finally was starting to put it together for me. It's unfortunate he picked up an injury and won't be able to go uh, this Saturday as he's not part of the roster um, because he was a guy who was really starting to get it together for me. And he's showing that playmaking ability in the final third, which I'll get into later, I think is lacking at the moment. But he was showing that. Um, still wasn't putting the goals, but I think he was starting to get it together, and maybe that's helped out by his move to the Bundesliga, um, out of uh, the Dutch, the Dutch league. Um, he's been in the Bundesliga now with Werder Bremen, and he's got quite a few goals. I don't have that number right in front of me, but he's really getting it together. So hopefully he can come back from that injury and start showing that playmaking spark. Uh, the last one I wanted to point out was a guy who. I've had ups on, I've had downs on. I've probably had more ups than downs, so I'm, I've included them here as one of the players I've, I've liked their effort recently. Um, and that's Jossi Zardes. He's been inconsistent and will disappear totally at times. Uh, man, I think in the Brazil game in particular, it, and it's funny because in the Peru game, which happened just a few days before that Brazil game, he was fantastic, making great runs, showing his speed, showing that playmaking ability in the final third with great passing getting to the spots he needed to 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 find the goals. And then Brazil, he was non-existent. Uh, He's a young player, and I think that, you know, that could just happen to a guy. And I think against Brazil in particular, his speed was kind of neutralized, and that's where he really uh, is able to separate himself. But he's got to be more consistent if he wants to be able to be a bigger part of this senior team 
when he does show up, he's fantastic, and he's one of the best players on the pitch. When he's not at that that top level, he's one of the worst players out there, and he totally disappears. So he's really got to get that kind of in sync. Um, but he shows that athletic uh, promise that I think that you're starting to kind of see with the U.S. team. And and I thought I'm, the Brazil game in particular, they were outclassed athletically. Um, Yedlin was one of the few guys I thought who was actually hanging with those guys and and you know we talk I love Yedlin because he has so much speed and you talk about the World Cup his speed was way too much for Brazil to handle I thought he shut down Eden Hazard who's one of the best players in the world um, because he has the speed um, and I think that was sort of neutralized against Brazil um, not necessarily that they totally eliminated him but you saw guys that were just as fast as him I think to be able to play on that level with Brazil Germany Spain Italy you're going to have to have more athletic guys that we see from the U.S. in other sports, um, like basketball and football. And I think Zardes and Yedlin are sort of that new age and that new speed that we really want to see. Uh, some of the guys who I thought were disappointing, uh, man, in particular, it has to be Josie Altador. It's a guy I've never been that high on. He did have a real great streak in the world in the build-up to the World Cup where he had a goal in, I believe, five straight games. And you thought, I, I thought definitely he was turning a corner. But he's just gone right back down. He showed just a total lack of passing ability uh, in the Gold Cup and in these friendlies. He's great at getting that possession and being that target forward and controlling it initially. But it's that secondary move, uh, whether it's dribbling or passing, that he has got to get down because there was too many errors and too many turnovers and total loss of possession and this team has to be better in the final third, I think, in terms of possessing the ball, making plays, making the right passes. And it all starts with Josie Altador, who's the guy who's receiving that initial ball. He's got to make something, do something better with that second pass, uh, with that second, with the movement of the ball to kind of start the attack. Another guy is Timmy Chandler, who is not on the roster for this Mexico game, and that's probably a good thing. I think his days are done at right back. He's just too slow. He doesn't have enough in the final attack except for the occasional long ball and, and, and distant shot, which is which is nice to have, but he's just too slow, and he makes one or two just crucial mistakes a game that maybe the other team doesn't capitalize on. But if they do, it can totally just throw you out of it with just one guy making a, a, a terrible play. You would rather a team score on you because they, they made a marvelous play um, and they showed a bit of skill rather than you just made a huge mistake and let them score. And the last guy, and it pains me to say this, but I think Kyle Beckerman's days might be done. And it really showed against Brazil. He just can't keep up. He's too slow. He's in his mid to late 30s, and by the time the next World Cup or World Cup arrives, he'll be in his definite late 30s. It's just a guy, I think the game, he can't compete on that level. He competes fantastically with CONCACAF and those guys uh, where he has just as much athletic ability as them. When you start getting to the elite-level players, He's just not, not quite there, and um, I think his days are probably numbered in terms of uh, being the starter there. Now, will he continue to get starts? Yes, uh, but I just think if they're gonna, if the U.S. is going to make any type of run past what they've been able to do, so to get to the quarterfinals and the semifinals uh, of the World Cup, the Kyle Beckermans of the world, it's just not going to cut it. Some of the other notes I think uh, that maybe we're people are so down on the friendlies. Uh, 
you got to remember Dempsey and Fabian Johnson were left off those teams. Um, Jeff Cameron made it back for those friendlies, but he's not on the Gold Cups. So you're missing pieces here and there. I know that's always going to happen because of injuries, um, because clubs won't release players. But just a couple of of notes there um, as we head into this game. As I already mentioned. Now you will have Dempsey and Fabian Johnson back, uh, but you will be in Jeff Cameron. But you'll be without Aaron Johansson, as I mentioned earlier, and also uh, John Anthony Brooks, um, who was missing due to injury. Uh, left off of the roster were Omar Gonzalez and Mix Discarud. Um, I guess just a, a thought from Klinsman is those guys are not in form. You know, it disappoints me to see Omar Gonzalez left off. I like Mix also as a guy off the bench. Um, but he's given some other guys the opportunity to perform there. Uh, Mexico had some fears that their captain, Andres Guardado, um, and then their, another key player, Rafa Marquez, would not be able to go, but they are fit. They will be there. Um, they will be without Giovanni Dos Santos, though. Uh, the, the LA Galaxy man picked up a knock on uh, Sunday, and he'll be ruled out for the match. Uh, so that's kind of a positive note for the U.S. as Dos Santos has really gotten it together. Uh, with the LA Galaxy, ton of talent on that team, and and he's just another huge piece of that. So as we head in this game, I, I really think the overriding story is is two things. It's the the very little optimism um, in the U.S. and kind of the the fire Jurgen Klinsmann um, talk is heating up. Um, people are not pleased with how the recent results of Klinsmann. Uh, people co- constantly bicker at the the odd roster decisions. He continues to call up Chris Wondolowski. Uh, you'd like to see maybe a younger player there. I know Jordan Morris isn't involved um, in this in this game because he's playing for the under twenty three team. But you'd like to see more of that guy, uh, more of Bobby Wood than Chris Wondolowski. Uh, the other the other thing was he continues to play Timmy Chandler and and this whole Demarcus Beasley thing. That he retires, he's unretired, he's now on the team. Uh, it, it's just confusing, and I think that's kind of the biggest thing to say about Klinsman. It's just confusing. He plays guys out of position uh, against Brazil. Bedoya was asked to play center defensive mid, a position he had never played before. Um, he's he's a left a left mid or a right mid, and that's what he always plays. Uh, he's not a defensive mid, and that really hurt them I think in the Brazil game and then he even kind of called him out on it which I thought uh, wasn't wasn't really the right thing for a manager to do another player constantly I think out of position is DeAndre Yedlin for his club team uh, he's he's on loan at Sunderland this year he plays right back and he continues to play him as a right mid and I think you really lose the benefit of DeAndre Yedlin and his speed when you put him at that right mid spot the guy is good enough to play right back he showed it in the World Cup. He's hopefully going to continue to show it in the Premier League. I think that's a guy who's got to be considered uh, at, at the right back spot, a spot that you cannot find someone to start. you got to put DeAndre Yellen in there and let him let him show uh, his pace and what, how he can affect the game. And then, obviously, the Michael Bradley controversy on where he should play. He's just got to get this thing figured out, I think Clemson does. Um and I think that's another thing that, that scares you about this game and, and about Klinsman is the back four has just been in total chaos, I feel like, 
ever since, even the, even in the World Cup, he continues to swap out players. He doesn't. He's not finding a a center back duel he wants to stick with. He's really just con- constantly shuffling, constantly shuffling uh, the left back and right back. I think you've got to build up some type of continuity if you want to see success. If you want it to be Brooks and Alvarado, fine. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't. I'm not huge on Ventura Alvarado, even though I think in the friendlies he he played much better. But if you want those to be the guys, let those be the guys and ride it out. Whereas in the Gold Cup, he switched it up every game. You've got to, um, you look at Spain, teams like Spain and Germany, their guys play on club teams together, and they have continuity, they have cohesion, they have chemistry. That's something the U.S. doesn't have, and maybe guys moving to the MLS will help that, but he has got to find some type of continuity in that back four if we're going to have success. Dempsey and Fabian are back, as I mentioned earlier. That's a huge thing. Josie Altor has got to be better um, if this thing wants to win. And Bradley and Jermaine Jones, they've got to figure that out there. Jermaine Jones has got to learn to stay back and, and really let Bradley be the one who moves forward. You can take your shots here and there, um, but he's got to figure that out. We've got to have a better part partnership there uh, if we're going to move forward. Now, what needs to happen for the U.S. to win this game? I think the fullbacks have to get involved in the attack. I'm not sure what the roster, uh, the starting lineup is going to be, whether Fabian will be... Um, listed as a left back or as a left mid, whether maybe he decides to put DeAndre Yedlin at right right back. But I think the fullbacks have to get involved in the attack for them to beat Mexico. The, the other thing is the strikers have to keep possession. Again, no Aaron Johansson, so it probably will be just Josie up top. He's got to continue to do what he's done well, which is receive those long balls, hold the defense off. What he has to improve on is that secondary passing to really get the attack started so he can make runs so we can feed the midfielders, Bedoya, Zussi, Bradley, Jones, Zardes, and let those guys make plays around him so he can get himself in position. On top of that, they got to have playmaking in the final third. Dempsey being back is huge. Um, I think he's the best playmaker you have in the final third, something I think they missed dearly against Brazil. But Bradley and Jermaine Jones, to some extent, have to be involved in that playmaking in the final third, setting guys up, owning possession a little more, making the right passes, and finding those easy goals. Because it's going to be difficult to find the net against Mexico. And lastly, they got to be up to the challenge athletically, particularly at center back and center defensive mid. It's why I'm scared to have Beckerman starting. I don't know if he's up to the challenge athletically. They looked athletically outclassed against Brazil. Now, Mexico is not Brazil by any stretch of the imagination, but they have to be up to the task athletically if they want to hang in this game. So that about wraps it up for my coverage of the U.S.-Mexico game that's coming up. We'll get back into the U.S. under-23 team a little later. A quick update on that game uh, while... I don't know why I'm doing this because no one's doing this live. Uh, but we're about 30 minutes in. We're in the 30th minute here and it's still 0 0 uh, for the U.S. and Panama. The U.S. already has six points um, in the group stage. So they went with a pretty heavy reserve lineup. It's probably uh, could be a reason why there's no goals to this point. Um, but I'll keep you uh, updated on that throughout the podcast. Uh, next, I want to get into the EPL. We're about uh, a quarter of the way into the season, so table's starting to sort itself out. We're going to take a look at the table, take a look at 
some of the players and teams that are exceeding expectations, some that are failing to meet expectations in a big way, and we've already had a manager sacked. So that is coming up next on this Upper Deckers Top Shelf Soccer Pod. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Upper Deckers Podcast. I'm Derek riding solo today. We are talking about soccer and only soccer because this is a top shelf mini pod where we get real into something specific. And for me, that is soccer. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Email us your questions uh, at upperdeckerspod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Here's some feedback, getting some dialogue. I know we've done a mailbag segment uh, once before. Love to do more. So hit us up with your questions so we can get to what really is, uh, really what the listeners want to hear. So we're here talking about soccer. As I said, we're going to talk about the EPL. And I talked about a manager being sacked. I don't want to get too much into this, but Brendan Rodgers, the Liverpool manager, I guess now the former Liverpool manager, was sacked on Monday um, after a disappointing draw, 1-1 to Everton. Um, actually, I heard that he was going to be um, was going to get fired no matter what the result, which is kind of shocking to me that they would have come out and beaten Everton 5-0, that he would have been uh, sacked. But that's the case. Uh, after three years, he had a fantastic first season. Uh, Luis Suarez uh, really was the key uh, to that season. Daniel Surridge had a breakout year and, and hasn't been really healthy since. Uh, so a great year, and then a couple just middling performances. Right now they sit in uh, sit in tenth place on the table, but just three out of Champions League. So it's kind of surprising um, for a club that doesn't spend that much money, that wasn't willing to hang on to Raheem Sterling, uh, that they were willing to do that to their manager, but them's the breaks. And uh, that's the EPL, where managers don't really get too long of a leash. Um, so, tough one for Brendan Rodgers, but I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. I wanted to sort of talk about the the teams that have been uh, surprising, and maybe I'll get into that next, but, man, the team that has been the most shocking, and it's in, a t- in, a, in the worst way you can, has been Chelsea. Last league's last year's champions sit in 16th right now, just four points clear. Now it's only through eight games, but four points clear of the relegation zone. And in their last five games, they've been they've been just as bad as they were at the start. Uh, they got to a terrible start. People thought, okay, let let's give them a little bit of time. Uh, they'll get this going. But the last five, they had a loss, a loss. They finally won a game, then they drew and they lost. Um, through eight games this year, they have three losses. All of last year, sorry, they have four losses. All of last year, they only had three. Through again, eight games this year, they have dropped 16 points through either loss or draw. Last year, in 38 games, they dropped only 27. They've dropped more than half the points they lost last year. 
Um, they had that scandal early on about their with their trainer and about uh, I think Jose or Jose Mourinho uh, blamed uh, her for for something um, something ridiculous about you know he she went onto the field when a player didn't need to forced a player to come out for a minute at the most. Um, so he demoted her, um, and she was very well-liked by players, fans alike. Um, so it was a real surprising move um, by just one of the biggest a-holes in all of sports in general, not only soccer. Um, and he's had a, a history of things like this. I, he's already had a stint with Chelsea where he left after two years. Many people think that's coming up next, but Chelsea... It's just been awful. And a team that last year relied heavily on its defense, um, relied on getting an early goal from Diego Costa or Eden Hazard, and then kind of sitting back, parking the bus, has been unable to get that early goal, has let up quite a few goals, and maybe it's the age of John Terry. I don't know. Um, But they're not being able to find those early goals. They're not being able to sit back. Their defensive effort's not as strong as it has been. And Diego Costa and Eden Hazard... Uh, who were two of the top five, uh, maybe even higher than that, top three players in the whole Premier League last year, aren't even close to the top 25 players right now. Uh, so if they want to get things going and get this back together, they're really going to use performances from those guys. But they have eight points at the moment right now. In fourth place, which is Champions League, right now is 15. There's so only seven out of a Champions League spot. So there's still, I think, that chance for that to happen. Um, but they sit 10 back of City at the top of the table, and there's no way they're catching that. So winning the Premier League is all but gone. Their hope is to try to regain um, the Champions League and get into fourth, and also in the Champions League to focus most of their effort on trying to win that. Uh, But it's just been a dreadful season uh, for Chelsea thus far. I do want to really talk about, and I think this is probably one of the more interesting things um, in the Premier League, is sort of the rise of the middle class. Um, those teams that have consistently been at the middle of the table are really starting to push up to the top of the table. And I think this year we might have one of those um, middle class teams get into that, get into fourth place and get a, a Champions League spot, which would be fantastic in my opinion uh the epl you know unlike sports over here in america is dominated by a handful of teams man city arsenal manchester united chelsea liverpool to some extent tottenham and maybe even everton but that's kind of pushing it with even those two teams as they don't even find their way into champions league much so as i said that's basically five teams who dominate the league and are going to win every year. But this year, and I think we saw it a little bit last year, but we're seeing it even more this year. We've seen the push of the middle class of the Premier League into the the top 10 and even the top five. As of right now, two of the middle class, um, in my opinion, teams, Crystal Palace and Leicester City, sit tied at 15 points for fourth and fifth respectively in the English Premier League. Another middle-class team, West Ham, is in sixth on the table. And another middle-class team, Swansea City, sits in 11th. Southampton also in ninth. Uh, They've risen up recently after a sluggish start. Um, 
but it's this rise of the middle class. These teams that just recently um, received promotion to the Premier League and are now fighting at the top of the table. And it's rather remarkable in, in this league that's been dominated by those five, six, maybe even seven teams for so long that we're seeing somebody maybe finally breaking in and going to compete. Um, let's talk about you know Leicester City. And, and actually, well, before I do that, I think one of the big reasons we're seeing this move up it, from these teams is that they're finally spending money. They're one of the hardest things they say to do in soccer is once you receive promotion, it's it's not receiving promotion. It's staying up that one season, staying up that next season and not being relegated just after one season in the league. If you're able to get into that second season, you're able to spend more money, go after bigger name players and get that chance to stay up. But I think this is really the first time I've seen any of those teams go after big name players. We'll start with with Crystal Palace who I think made one of the biggest signings, not just of these middle-class teams, but in the whole Premier League when they signed Johan Johan Caballé from Paris Saint-Germain for $13 million. That was a huge signing. I'm sorry, I think that's probably 13 million pounds. Um, It's a huge signing of a player coming from PSG, a Champions League regular, one of uh, the team that consistently wins the French League, and they brought him to their side, and has been a huge part, uh, a huge reason this team sits in fourth place at the moment. Uh, last season, they finished 10th. Um, they also added Connor Wickham for £9 million from Sunderland. Bakari Sako came over uh, to join Wilfred Zaha, Scott Dan, and Pape Soare. Um, this team has shown incredible skill um, this season in both the attack and on the defensive side of the ball. And I think this is a team that's here to stay. Uh, between them and Swansea at the beginning of the year, those were the two teams I kind of said, watch out for these two, because Swansea last year uh, finished the season in eighth, um, and Crystal Palace finished in tenth. And I thought these two teams were really going to be the ones who challenged for it. Um, but it's the big signings. Swansea also made a big signing, um, even though they brought him over on a free free transfer, Andre Ayew from uh, Marseille, has been a huge part of the attack um, for them as a midfielder, and has been a big reason why Swansea, uh, even though they've struggled uh, recently with two draws and two losses in their last four, um, they've kind of fallen out of the top ten. I fully expect them to get back into it um, because they have too much talent with Sigurdsson, Ashley Williams, uh, Kyle Naughton coming over from Tottenham. Um, I think Swansea City will get right back into the running. Perhaps to me the most surprising is West Ham, even though I'd probably throw in Leicester City there too. West Ham was it's such an interesting story. They were relegated after the 2011 season, um, but then in that 2012 season, they finished third in the championship, won the playoff for promotion, um, and have been able to stay up the last couple years here in the Premier League, and now this year made a big signing to from Marseille, who clearly was selling off players, uh, with Dimitri uh, Payet for an undisclosed eight-figure sum. Uh, they brought in Vis- Victor Moses on loan. Uh, they signed, or they brought in Carl Jenkinson all- also on loan from Arsenal. Um, in their last five games, they have three wins and two draws. They handed Manchester City, who hadn't allowed a goal to that point, um, their first loss of the season. Uh, West Ham has been a big shocker to me because even when in those first couple of seasons when I started following the Premier League in 2010, um, they were just kind of that, that 
definition of middle class team, a team that really wasn't going to go anywhere, almost like you know Stoke City, that's just firmly going to plant themselves in the middle of the table and not move and just be happy to be there. But now they're spending money, they're moving up the table, and they definitely have a chance to challenge for that fourth spot in the Premier League. Leicester City, though, is probably the craziest story, as last year they were for sure relegated until they won seven of their last nine matches to avoid relegation and finish 14th. Then they went and spent upwards of 20 million pounds this summer uh, to bring in some more talent uh, to the already talented squad with Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy, who have quickly become two of the better players in the Premier League, extremely surprisingly. Uh, their form has been all right in the last five games with a draw win, draw loss, and win. Um, but this is a team that is that's hanging in there, staying right now in fifth in the Premier League and tied technically with Crystal Palace. Now their goal differential is uh, is a little bit worse than Crystal Palace, uh, but they're hanging in there points-wise. And I think we might see finally, for the first time, uh, someone beyond those those obviously five plus. Everton and Tottenham uh, break in and it's it's exciting to see and it's fun to see especially when you're flipping through because all of these games are available um, whether on, on on NBC Sports or on NBC or now they have at least one game a week on uh, USA but all these games are available and you can kind of flip over and you know what it used to be man if one of these five teams weren't involved it's really not going to be an exciting game and it's probably not going to be exciting unless these teams are playing each other. Well, now you're throwing in the likes of Crystal Palace, West Ham, Swansea, and Leicester City. I mean, it makes there's at least one good game, generally two or three a week, that you're seeing these top teams play because we're expanding what is our top, our top five. I think that could possibly be the best thing for the Premier League um, if it hopes to continue to expand itself um, into the U.S. into the U.S. market have more teams be involved, give people more options as they uh, look to, to select their team to follow since there really is no team for them to just say, hey, you know, I'm from that city. I'll be a, on that team. I'll root for that side. Um, just creating more um, more teams that people can follow, more variation. I think that bodes well for the Premier League, and it bodes well for me as a fan to be able to enjoy more teams. Um, so... I definitely am one of those people who's rooting for the Crystal Palaces of the world uh, to come up and, and usurp uh, Liverpool and Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, not City. Let City uh, continue to do what they do. Um, but to usurp and, and get in the Champions League and be one of the exciting teams um, next year in the Champions League. So there you go. There's the EPL wrap-up. Uh, we're approaching halftime here. we got two minutes of stoppage time. We're here and we're already about 30 seconds into it. Um, of this uh, USA-Panama game, Olympic qualifying match. It's what I want to get into next. I want to talk about the youth um, for, the, for the U.S. soccer. Who are the up-and-comers? Will any of these guys ever even play a senior match? Will some of them be involved in the World Cup? That's what I want to get into next on the Upper Deckers podcast. Stay with us.
You're listening to the Upper Deckers Podcast. This is the mini pod, soccer edition, top shelf soccer content with your host, Derek Klein. No Matt and Drew, unfortunately, today. Uh, I got too much to talk about with soccer, so it's just all me. They'll be back, though, on our next edition. Definitely. If you're missing out on those guys. The U.S. is now at halftime. Uh, it's nil-nil. No one's been able to score. No one's been able to find the uh, back of the net. It was a close one there for the U.S. I think when I let out my scream back in the first segment, just uh, goalie just got a piece of it and it sailed over the bar. Um, but as I kind of mentioned, the U.S. Uh, won their first two matches here uh, to get six points in the qualifying. I'm actually the first game has come and gone, so I'm not sure uh, um, how the other game went today. Uh, just was on before this one. Um, the U.S. had already secured six points, had already secured uh, movement onto the next round. Uh, they will be playing Saturday afternoon, I believe at 2 o'clock, um, in Sandy, Utah, at the uh, Real Salt Lake uh, Soccer Stadium. Um, the top two teams of this tournament qualify for the 2016 Summer Olympics, uh, which will be in Brazil. Um, so how that goes is we have two groups of four in this tournament. Uh, first place from each group will play second place from each group in the semifinals. The winner of those two games events the championship. Now, those two teams have already qualified for the Olympics, kind of rendering that championship game useless as more than just, it's more just say in another game for these guys to play with each other. Uh, but the two teams that lose in that round will play each other for a third place match. Whoever wins that then wins the right to go to a playoff against uh, the CONMA Bowl, uh, which is South American representative, which is Colombia. Uh, the winner of that game, Colombia versus whoever from CONCACAF, will also qualify for the Olympics. Um, but hopefully the U.S. will be able to win um, their game on Saturday afternoon. It'll be either against Mexico or Honduras. Uh, those two teams, I believe, face off. Um, tomorrow, um, and whoever loses, I mean, I, I'm not thinking a draw, Honduras finishes second, so that's who the U.S. would play. Um, if, obviously, Honduras wins, they would play Mexico in the game. Now, the Olympics is a, is a bit different, um, obviously, from the World Cup, as it's everybody's um, under-23 team, and you're also not going to see you're going to see probably some of the traditional powers, but not everyone. Um, and the other thing is winning the Olympics and winning with your under-23 team does not necessarily lead to success for your senior team down the road. Um, in the last Olympics in 2012, Mexico actually won the Olympics, and we haven't really seen them take that next step. I, most people would say they're probably still behind the U.S. Um, in terms of soccer prowess. Um, so it doesn't really mean necessarily anything for you to go to the Olympics and win. But it's, I think, a, a good thing for your young players to get um, high leverage experience, a go against big competition, the best competition, at least, of their age group. Um, so these games are exciting, and they're just exciting to see um, the future of the, the U.S. team. Now, not all these guys are ever even going to see the senior team, but some of them will. Um, 
So it's interesting to watch watch these guys play. Uh, now, a couple of big names are actually missing from this tournament um, for the under-23 team. Cody Cropper, the goalie, uh, formerly of uh, Southampton, now I believe of MK Dons, um, has a knee injury, was not able to play. Rubio Rubin, the striker for FC Utrecht, uh, was not able to get released from his club, um, so he was unable to play, and that's extremely disappointing. As I think he's um, one of the brighter stars on this team. Now, I think there's still some pretty pretty good strikers on this team uh, outside of him. Jordan Morris is is fantastic. I, I like Mackie Tall uh, quite a bit. Uh, and, and there's another name who's I really just noticed from watching uh, these last two games, and that's Jerome Kiesewetter. Now, I totally might be butchering his name. He's a, a uh, German-American, um, and he's been fantastic. I think he had two goals in about 60 minutes in that second game. He had a beautiful assist 30 seconds into the uh, first game as he set up Jordan Morris on a really nice cross. I think he's looked uh, fantastic, um, but Rubio Rubin not being able to be there uh, was a pretty big letdown. And the other one left off uh, for poor form was Julian Green, uh, a player who actually scored a goal in the World Cup, uh, was left off the roster as he's playing for uh, Bayern Munich's uh, reserve squad in the fourth division of the Bundesliga and has just not been able to live up to the high expectations. Uh, it doesn't mean that he won't in the future, but that's a guy who had so much promise. Um, so many U.S. fans were excited for him to be a part of this team and just has not been able to get it together uh, for his club team. And as a result, Andy Herzog did not dis- did not bring him along um, to this to this uh, Olympic qualifying. That doesn't mean he won't be part of the Olympic squad. He still could, uh, but he's gonna have to work hard to get there. Now, uh, this last summer, the under twenty team, so going even younger, had their World Cup. They advanced to the quarterfinals and then lost in penalty shootouts. This wasn't just the old. Uh, Five guys go up, penalty shootout either. This got to, I think, the ninth man, Zach Steffen, who's actually started the first two games here for the other 23 team, is the keeper, and he had to shoot. Now, he missed, uh, but that's how far it got. Um, So it really took a lot for the U.S. to be eliminated. They looked really good in that under-20 World Cup, and that results have uh, shown for six of those players uh, who are on that roster are on this under-23 team. That's a pretty big step up uh, for uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Emerson Hindman, Matt Miazgas, Zach Steffen, who I just mentioned, Mackie Tall, and Gideon Zalalem were all uh, huge parts of that team that went to the quarterfinals and are now part of this uh, under-23 team that are hoping to qualify for the Olympics and make a big run there. Uh, another eight players were part of uh, the under-23 team that finished third in the Toulon tournament in France this summer. Um, and so there's there's a lot of experienced guys who played in high-leverage games um, uh, this summer and are continuing to play here. Um, but I think I just wanted to point out, I guess, some of the guys who have really um, stood out to me in these first two games. Number one has to be Jordan Morris, the Stanford prospect, um, still going to school there, has still has refused to start his professional career. He was a a member of the U squad, and I guess still, still technically is with the Seattle Sounders. But, man, this is a guy, I think, and he's already had quite a few um, senior call-ups, and I really think he'd be playing this Saturday um, for the senior team if they didn't have this Olympic qualifying. 
I think he's he's the future striker, and it's a guy Josie Alzheimer really has to watch out for because I think Jordan Morris shows that that class, shows that ability to possess, make smart plays. He had a fantastic dummy. Um, it might have actually been back in the summer before the Gold Cup. I think it was maybe against um, Germany or the Dutch to set up a Bobby Wood goal. Um, he's He's got... He's extremely um, smart. He's got a high soccer IQ on the field, great athletic ability, great finishing touch. And I think this is one of the future stars um, of the U.S. national team. Jerome Kiesewetter was another guy who I think has really stood out um, in these fo- in these first uh, couple games. He didn't get the start tonight as the U.S. went with a lot more of the, uh, the backups. But he had two goals in the second game and the assist in the first. And those two goals in the second were really more of a, a right place, right time. But that's a lot of what being a striker is. It's gotten Chris Wondolowski, you know, this far. Um, so I think Jerome has a chance to continue to do that um, for the U.S., to continue to show his class. And really the, the cross he made was probably even better than the two goals. I really like what I've seen out of him. Um, Heinemann and Zalalem are probably... Um, if they continue on this track, Zalal, or Heinemann to me is the next Michael Bradley. Zalalem is potentially the next Clint Dempsey, um, but maybe with more playmaking ability and less goal-scoring ability. I think he's really more of that center-attacking mid type player, uh, the guy who's really going to set up his teammates and put them in position to score. Um, these two, you know, they've, they've been a little ineffective here and there. I think Heinemann... Um, and Zalalem, though, they play over um, in England. Um, well, Zalalem's on loan right now to Rangers in Scotland. Um, but I think as they continue to get more experience, I mean, these guys are still under 20. Uh, they're going to be a huge part um, of the of the national team moving forward. But possibly, the, but not possibly, definitely, the guys I'm most excited about. And while I'm excited about Matt Miazga at center back, I'm just over the moon about Cameron Carter Vickers. This is the youngest guy in this team at 17 years old. Um, he's um, owned by Tottenham and plays for their youth squad, but he's a center back. And at 17, he looks mature beyond his years. Um, he's already got the physical ability, I think, to play um, at a high level. And in my opinion, this guy is going to be the starting center back next to John Anthony Brooks at the 2018 World Cup. He's so good, and it's something that this team, that the U.S. senior team has missed for, I think, the entirety of the history is a strong center back. And I think Cameron Carter-Vickers has a chance. He'll be 20 years old uh, when that first when his he's when the next uh, World Cup comes around, I think this is a guy who could be a part of three or four World Cup teams and be just the rock at center back that you need. Now the guy next to him, Matt Miazga, he might make it there too. But I really I think John Anthony Brooks, who I think actually could be a part of this under twenty three team, but they believe his skill set is beyond it. Um, I think him and Cameron Carter Vickers will create a fantastic duo in the back. Um, for years to come. And I think that's so important to a team. If you can have those rocks at center back, uh, it just makes everything that much easier. Um, so I'm over the moon. As I said about Cameron Carter Vickers, I think this guy has the potential to be one of the best players for the U S um, 
I think he'll be involved in the World Cup qualifying that is just shortly ahead of us. Um, I really see him, as I said, starting in the World Cup. Now, some of these other guys, do I think Heinemann um, and Zalalem are on the next World Cup team? Ah, that's tough for me to say. I definitely think that uh, that Jordan Morris will, as he's already gotten tons of senior call-ups. I think uh, Jurgen Klinsmann likes him quite a bit, but you know who knows? Jurgen Klinsmann may not be here. I mean, as I discussed earlier, the the rumors for firing Klinsmann have have heated up, and and even Landon Donovan, just this last week, chimed in on that. Um, so who knows? Uh, you know, they got to beat Mexico this weekend for I think for him to keep his job, but. You know, I think there's a lot of exciting players. Uh, one I haven't even mentioned either was Will Trapp, who captained um, the first two games and, and probably would be captain tonight, but he's not playing, uh, who plays center defensive mid. As I said, a position that's that's in flux right now on the senior team. You know, I don't think Beckerman is going to be there in the next World Cup. I'm not sold on Danny Williams. They tried Bedoya there. Um, that didn't work. Um, I'm not sold on Jermaine Jones either. So I think that's an open position uh, for Will Trapp, another guy, Perry Kitchen, who's not in the other 23 team, but you know maybe he steps up and, and can take that job. But Will Trapp is, is just as much of a contender as those guys. Um, you know, the, So Saturday looks to be a big day for U.S. soccer, if that's what you're into. Um, you won't have any EPL matches in the morning as they are all on international break. Um, but you'll have a, a nice early afternoon uh, U.S. under-23 game to try to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, follow that up that night with trying to get into the Confederations Cup with the senior team. Uh, we'll see what, what starting lineup uh, Jurgen chooses to go with. I know what I would do, but he's not going to listen to me. So uh, there's that. But I'm excited for the weekend, excited for the Rangers. Uh, start their playoff run on Thursday. I know that's not soccer talk, but that's coming up. Um, so it's a big time for soccer, especially for the U.S., and uh, looking forward to it. That's going to do it for me for this uh, second-ever Upper Decker Top Shelf Mini Pod. My first ever. Do this all by myself. I went 50 minutes talking about myself. That's how much soccer that I had to get out of my system. Thank you for uh, for listening to that. Uh, as we said, follow, or as I said earlier, as we always say, follow us on Twitter at uh, UpperDeckers underscore pod. Email us, UpperDeckers underscore pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Love to hear your feedback on soccer. If I didn't cover something you want to hear about, let me know. You got questions, I'd be glad to answer, whether it be just emailing you back or we can obviously run another email bag on our next podcast. I'm sure we'll go try to get one in um, soon because the Rangers are in the playoffs. We want to get that. I know Matt is going crazy right now. Uh, all three of us will be heading out there uh, for the Ranger game, game three on Sunday night. We're pumped about that. So uh, it's good times. We want to hear from you. Let us know. What you think of the uh, soccer pod? I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay sweet. <laughs>